Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on lifestyle design for millennials. I'm Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. Today, I have a special guest for you. Her name is Lily Herman. So Lily Herman is a New York-based writer and editor whose work has been recently featured on Teen Vogue, Glamour, Refinery29, Cosmopolitan, Fast Company, Time, Mashable, and so much more. You can learn more about her on her website, lilyherman.com, or on Twitter at LKHerman. So hi, Lily. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I want to start with this. Okay, so I read an article where you wrote the first line. In the fall of 2012, I arrived at college and was convinced that I was going to be the president of the United States. Yes, things have taken yes. a turn. <laughs> Let, let's, talk, let's talk about that because that tells a lot about your upbringing, who you are, right? Where your mindset was at the time. Can we start with that? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're starting with this because usually I have to back things up because, you know, people will start with the present day and act very confused. But yeah, so um, I guess, yeah, it's easiest, easiest to start with my my mindset at that point. So um, I'm, originally, uh, I'm originally from the Northeast, but uh, grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, which is the Florida-Georgia border in the northeastern corner of the state. Um, so very far from Miami, um, very conservative, very Southern, which surprises a lot of people, you know, when they hear Florida. You know, I always joke if my 17-year-old self you know, got just a glimpse to see of, of what I was doing now. Um, I think more than anything, she'd be so confused as to what could <laughs> possibly happen. So um, I've always been interested in politics. Um, I was a huge politico. I think also if you, um, you know, live in a place where you are, you know, politically, ideo- ideologically not like everyone else there, you sort of, you know, really, really identify with whatever you know, that identity is. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, w- I was in, what was I, in ninth grade when Barack Obama was elected. Um, mm-hmm. It was an interesting, interesting time and, and interesting to be living in uh, a place that's very Southern and conservative and, yeah. um, you know, kind of being there for that. But yeah, I spent all of high school wanting to be president. I wanted to go into politics. I thought that was my dream. Um, and on the flip side, I guess, because people then ask, well, weren't, weren't you just writing or something during that time? Um, I wasn't at all. I I actually had my 10th grade English teacher told me I was a terrible writer. Um, <laughs> I didn't do any, you know, student newspaper, uh, anything like that. So there, you know, I, no one in my family too is in media or journalism or anything. So there's just no indication, um, you know, I, I could not have known at 17 that this is where I'd end up several years later. I'm trying to think here if there's anything kind of interesting to set the, the stage with the irony here. But yeah, so uh, that, that's where I was going into college. I was 100% going to join student government. I was going to start my, you know, what I thought was going to be my storied political career by mm-hmm. uh, doing student government at Wesleyan, where I went to school. And yeah, that was, you know, uh, up until day one of college, that was my entire plan. 
Yeah. No, but I think it's very telling of your personality that you're you know what you wanted and you were going for it. And even though you you know you went into writing, I I still see that mindset, right? Because you've been doing all of these things consistently <laughs> since freshman year of college. It's crazy. So yeah. do you want to talk about that transition? How did you get into freelance writing? Because you started really young. Yeah, no. So basically, uh, you know, then I pick up the story. I get to school. I do get elected to student government. Within two weeks, I realized I hated it. I knew I hated it. It was not for me. You know, I still loved, I loved to read and talk about politics, but just the actual, you know, bureaucracy even of a student government is a little bit ridiculous. So I kind of had that realization that, okay, maybe this is not what I thought it was. And, you know, went through a slight existential crisis over the fact mm-hmm. that two weeks into school, my entire, you know, four or five, six year dream was shattered, you know, virtually overnight. At the same time, what I was really lucky to do is, you know, Wesleyan has a very, very rich media scene. And um, on top of that, they have a campus blog called Wesley Ing uh, that's been around for about a decade now. So it was around, you know, about five years when I came in, five, six years. Yeah. Mm. And it's really snarky. It's really funny. Um, It's one of the first things that comes up if you Google the school. So I had been reading Wesley Ing as a a prefresh. And I was super lucky in the fact that when I came in, not only were there a ton of great, smart, funny writers who are a little bit older than me, but the guy who was leading it, you know, he went on to become, I believe he's now a senior reporter at Newsweek. Um, So he was a really talented, you know, senior in college, obviously, at the time. And I was just really lucky that I, I started writing for this kind of snarky, funny blog. I I had a Tumblr, a pretty, you know, popular Tumblr in high school. So I I liked blogging. You know, of course, I didn't think of it as anything but a hobby. I was definitely, you know, uh, monetizing blogs was not even really a thing back in, you know, 2010, 2011. So, you know, it was just something fun to do. And I, I joined our campus blog and you know, was really liking it and, um, you know, was lucky to have this system and, and this group of people where I could kind of ask questions about writing just out of curiosity, not really, ne- again, necessarily thinking career move. Luckily, they all answered these, you know, really strange random questions I had. So that was kind of the beginning where, I, you know, the cogs started turning. And from there, which I always find, you know, funny because people think, oh, writing careers, you, might, you have to have mentors, you need to go to journalism school, you know, you need to do all these things if you want to become successful. And honestly, I very, very clearly remember uh, sitting in our campus library and Googling, you know, how, you know, how to be a writer and then, you know, college contributors wanted and searching for Mm. writing opportunities. Uh, There was no, yeah, Wesleyan is liberal arts. It doesn't have a journalism program. So I was totally on my own, you know, so that's kind of, I think, where it, where it started. So I want to ask, what was your motivation behind searching for those jobs? Like, did you just want to write? Were you trying to make some cash on the side? Like what was going on? Yeah, I don't even think money entered into it. Again, I had Mm -hmm. no background, so I didn't even know that there was a thing as freelance writing. You know, I, I, Mm. I, I, like a lot of people who aren't in the industry, they think of writing as, oh, you're a staff writer somewhere, which those positions don't necessarily exist anymore in the same way. Um, But I was just sort of like, oh, you know, writing's okay. Maybe I can write somewhere else, you know? Um, Mm. And and I also knew, though, that, you know, I wasn't, again, aiming for anything huge, but I I kind of slowly realized, oh, there are people who are my age who write for these websites. Maybe I should do that. Again, it was very, I was 18. I'd been in college for maybe two months, three months. So it was all just sort of me kind of, you know, Googling a lot. I started paying attention to, you know, other people who are my age and what they were doing and and just kind of went from there. So it was really just an innocent sort of 
let me just see what this is. That's really cool. Yeah, like you just explored a curiosity and an interest and it took exactly. you really far. Yeah. But I, yeah, so what was your first job in writing where you're like, wow, like this is so cool. I'm just curious. <laughs> okay, so there are two simultaneously that I, and I think it's important that they sort of happen in the same month. So actually, I'll start with one that did not work out. Basically, I was looking through listings and I came across USA Today, which we all know USA Today has Mm -hmm. a vertical called USA Today College. And I saw that they had what had just launched as a college correspondence program where they had these student journalists writing. So of course I applied. I recently looked at my resume and the cover letter I sent in and it is so embarrassing how bad it is, but (laughs) such is life. Um, So of course I did not get it. But um, I started Googling more. And um, so two things happened within the same month. One, I applied to hercampus.com, which is still around. It was, I know they've changed their editorial strategy and they're very different now. Um, I still love them and have a lot of respect because I was, you know, they hired me. I was Mm -hmm. an 18-year-old with a couple of writing clips for a campus blog. And and our campus blog, again, is very snarky. It's all under, you know, everyone writes under, uh, you know, pen names. So they took a chance on me. Um, I yeah, I, re- I still remember to this day writing my first article, and it and they had a oh yeah, they had a great their national contributor program had just the best editing experience to this day. If it's still around, I'm like everyone should do it because I got serious edits, I got real edits, I learned how to edit, I learned how to write from that program. But I just remember my first article got trashed. And it's not like they said anything mean, but just you know, red ink kind of thing everywhere in track changes. <laughs> but it was, it was. I just remember calling my mom and like sobbing on the phone, oh. and as I was so upset because I, you know, and just not realizing I did not know how to write an article. So that was experience number one. So that's kind of just (laughs) where that started. Um, And then the same month, you know, the thing that a lot of people kind of know me from in in college was um, I founded a college admissions website, um, which, you know, fast forward three and a half years later became uh, the world's largest student run college access organization. Um, So it was 140 to 150 people all under 22, uh, you know, doing admissions. But of course, when I started it, or first met my co-founder in uh, December of 2012, it was nowhere near that. Um, mm-hmm. So as a freshman, I had all these, um, I had been really into college admissions and really into college access in high school. So I knew a lot about the admissions process, um, read a lot about you know how to survive your freshman year of college and whatnot. And uh, I met my co-founder over the internet and uh, we, we just kind of were chatting about admissions experiences and you know decided to, oh, we're gonna start this college admissions website that is kind of snarky and it's written from the point of view of college students, you know, sharing all these different experiences. We kind of want to be really real about, you know, admissions, unlike a lot of older, you know, college admissions counselors, or these people who write, you know, pretty dry content. Right. It's like you bringing a young perspective to it. Exactly. So mm-hmm. that was sort of in, in basically, so one, I wanted to help. I thought, hey, help a couple kids get into school. Awesome. Two, I needed writing clips. So, you know, if no one was going to, if no one was going to be able to hire me right after that, because I had zero clips, why not just create my own and, you know, do do it that way, kind of hack it that way. So um, when the prospect began, so it launched on February 19th of 2013. And when it began, I was writing five to seven articles a week for it. And so we started, we were all nervous, Stephen and I, to hire anyone at first, because, you know, just when you're getting your bearings, uh, that's a lot, but quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, just sort of blew up pretty, pretty much overnight, you know, just in terms of people having an interest in it. 
That's really awesome. I want to pull out two key values or lessons from this. I think number one is, you know, when everyone always asks, like, how do you start out as a writer? How do you start? And it's re- you really have to create your own work. You can't expect people to hire you if you don't have anything to show for it. So that's number one. You just got to create your own work. So number two was that you got a lot of practice, right? You wrote five to whatever articles a week which is really which is a lot so it's all about practicing and working on your craft and you just get better and better at it oh yeah totally and I think to to both points you know Mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of one you just need to write a lot Um, whenever I talk to college students that's my number one thing is Mm -hmm. you know I see a lot of college students I I recently actually was back at Wesleyan to talk to a a college class and you know had a couple students who said hey I really want to be you know I don't know a a sports writer, a fashion writer, a specific beat. And I was like, look, you're too early in your process to be trying for this specific beat. You just need to write a lot. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, to to both points, I think a lot of people, you know, or a lot of new writers get nervous that things aren't perfect or that, you know, they need to only write in this one specific vertical or else, you know, it's all for nothing, you know, and it was just, you know, looking back, it's yeah. like, I'm really thankful that I had an opportunity to just write a lot and also just practice when no one was watching. So I was not writing mm-hmm. for a huge, you know, a huge publication. I didn't have this gigantic, well-known, glamorous byline. Uh, it was just me writing for my admissions website, you know, in my little tiny speck of a corner of the internet and, you know, got to obviously make tons of mistakes and yeah. try out a lot of different things, see, you know, kind of throw things at the wall to see what would stick. But, you know, I got to do that uh, way, way before anyone was paying attention. All right, before we go on, I have to tell you about our sponsor, FreshBooks. So if you're a freelancer or small business owner, FreshBooks is an easy accounting software that's the simplest way to be more organized and productive with your day-to-day paperwork. So with FreshBooks, you can send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments to get paid up to four days faster, and more. Even if you're not a freelancer, you can still use FreshBooks to keep track of your expenses. So my favorite part is that you can take a photo of your receipts with your phone and upload it straight to the FreshBooks app as an expense. So it's super fast, super easy. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. So if you want to claim that, just go to freshbooks.com lifestyle and enter the Lavender lifestyle in their how did you hear about us section. So that's freshbooks.com lifestyle. All right, back to the interview. So I'm curious, because you kept on freelance writing and you kept getting more and more jobs throughout college. I'm just curious, like, what motivated you to continually take on challenges? Because you could have totally just sit back and enjoyed your college years and not do this. So why did you do this? You know, I think I'm someone who just really, really likes to be really busy. I think everyone who's ever known me, whether it was, you know, in in elementary school, middle school, or even now, uh, knows that I work best when I'm doing 18,000 different things. And I'm kind of consistently just working at things. So, you know, I I just would kind of take things on that were interesting. Now, my biggest thing was I'm not a fan of just taking things on for the the sake of taking them on to say I'm busy. Uh, Every opportunity I took, there was some strategic reason why I I tried for that specific opportunity. So, you know, but I'm someone who definitely cannot say no to 
a great thing. <laughs> That's like the biggest problem right. is, even now is sort of, you know, prioritizing having to say no is really difficult for me. So, cause I, mm. I would, you know, kind of find these really interesting internships or find these inter- cool writing opportunities. Um, and, and, you know, could, could not say no to them. Um, so that was, yeah, it was par- partially just like interest and curiosity and wanting to become a better writer, but then also just in my, my own personality. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just will constantly go after those. That's cool. So on the flip side, what's been like the biggest struggle or obstacle in your career? I think internally, it's definitely been my own self-doubt. Again, going back to the way beginning, so this was eight years ago, you know, an English teacher told me I was a terrible writer. So, you know, I used to look at that as a negative. Like, why am I here? You know, the quintessential sort of imposter syndrome. I don't get why anyone takes my writing seriously. I don't even think I'm that great of a writer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So that's, I think, been definitely an obstacle that... I've had to think about a lot and overcome. And I think also another reason I just wrote so much and was such a proponent of just the sheer con- you know, amount of content I produced was I felt like, you know, if I write this much and get this, do this much work and have this much experience, then, then maybe I'll put some of that internal, uh, you know, imposter syndrome to rest, you know. So was there like a transition period where like that imposter syndrome went away? Like, did you, was it confidence? Like, what was it? I don't think it ever really goes away. But I think the Mm. real shift I had was realizing that it could actually be a huge strength. You know, in my experience, I meet a lot of people now and and talk to a lot of people and I'm friends with a lot of people who went to journalism school or, you know, were editor in chief of the newspaper in high school and feel like writing is their thing. You know, like, like, like I am a writer. My one talent in this world is writing. And I've personally, never felt like that. So I think the interesting thing is that I kind of knew from the beginning, or I assumed I was like, oh, I'm not the strongest writer. So I need to have all these other skills because I can't just rely on just my writing to get me anywhere. Um, which again, it, whether that's true or not is, is beside the point. Um, but I, you know, I became really, really well versed in social media strategy and editorial you know, operations, editorial strategy, all these other kind of skills, which now when you're, you know, kind of a recent grad or someone starting out, well, those are the things that get you hired, not necessarily just your writing. Um, I sort of kind of hacked it like that in my mind of, I'm just going to have so much stuff that no one can say no to me. And, you know, (laughs) I go from there. And on top of that, I, I, I don't have an ego about my writing. I don't mind having my work edited. You know, to this day, it's sort of like, cool, you know, I, yeah. I'm not that great of a writer anyway. So it's, it's, no, fun. that's really important to put the ego aside. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Cause I, I wanted to ask also, like, how are you confident in each piece of writing when you have to write so many things so often? Or do you just like write it, put it out, forget about it? How does that work? Yeah, I definitely think more towards the latter. Yeah, I do have some, you know, perfectionist tendencies. But I think again, with the the great thing about having to write so much so quickly and so early in my career with with the prospect and her campus had a similarly pretty intense schedule, is that I could never focus on one thing too much and just with with all the things I was doing. And you know, some people might look at that and say, Oh, you're just you're not giving your all to all of it. And I, you know, I would argue, yes, I was giving pretty much pretty close to, to all of my all I know, I know how far everything will get. You know, at which point it's just it's just not going to get any better for me. But I think, yeah, that sort of forced me to never take any one thing I was doing too seriously and to also realize that, hey, if I have one piece go downhill, that is not the only piece I'm going to write this month. It's not going to be the thing that people remember me for. You know, I've had yeah. some pieces that people have disliked things in them, um, you know, things have fallen flat, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I honestly can't even remember all those times because <laughs> there's just so much I've published. You have so <laughs> many so. things out there. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a really good lesson for all creatives out there to not take your work so seriously, not like tie your heart and your ego oh, yeah. to it. Because, yeah, just create a lot of work, put it out there and just not let it be so personal. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
So let's talk about your schedule now as a freelancer. Can you just walk us through your typical day or week? I just want to know what your lifestyle looks like. Yeah, so um, I am lucky in that, you know, because I kind of did this in college plus classes, I when I, you know, I was basically working a full time job out of school for about nine months and then went back to full time freelancing. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's kind of almost like coming home to the schedule I was so used to for four years. But essentially a typical day, I wake up at five, I exercise, um, I kind of get my head on straight for about an hour and a half. Um, you know, have a nice little breakfast, you know, kind of check over. I'm a huge to-do list proponent. So I, you know, have all my to-do lists for the week. Do you use like an app or do you just write it down on a notebook? I just use reminders on my my computer. I've gone you okay. know, paper lists. I've tried other much more, you know, frou-frou apps and none of them ever really mm-hmm. stuck uh, the way yeah. that kind of just reminders on MacBook did. So yeah, so I, you know, kind of take some time, um, usually around seven, I'll start, you know, I have to submit some pitches to some places for, you know, their kind of morning shifts begin, things like that. So I'll take that time. And then typically, typically around eight is when, you know, Teen Vogue will email me with some breaking news for the morning, or um, I now write for Allure. So they'll, you know, send me some breaking or approve any pitches. So I, I kind of know that the first, you know, one to two-ish hours of my day are going to be spent on that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And then from there, I um, start tackling kind of what's what's on the docket. So I personally try to make sure I'm not writing any more than two other big articles on, the, on any given day if I can help it. Um, and I'm talking like big things where I know it's going to be a huge chunk of time. Um, so for example, today I'm working on a piece for a company that does sort of work productivity stuff. And so I'm working on this very long piece about project management software. And that's just mm-hmm. going to be a doozy. So, you know, <laughs> making sure that I have the time and, and take that on earlier in the day so I'm not struggling to do it at, you know, 8 p.m. at night. So from there, I'll tackle one of those. I I write pretty quickly, so I know how long it's typically going to take for me to do those things. And then the great thing about freelancing is you can kind of make your own schedule. So my least productive hours of the day, and this has always been this way, is around lunch. So I will take a nice, you know, one and a half hour break just to, you know, eat some lunch, catch up on some news, you know, do anything else I want to do. On occasion, if I'm really tired, I'll take a short nap, whatever it is. And then I get back to work around two and just and just sort of work. So that could mean right. any number of things, you know, working on any of the companies and, you know, publications I work for, writing stuff for them, doing some editing, you uh, were working on some other projects and I send a lot of emails and receive a lot of emails as I'm sure you do as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of yeah. that, you know, sort of maintenance stuff that has to happen. Uh, and then also I periodically check to make sure that am I staying on my to-do list? Also, how does my to-do list today and what I got done versus not got done? How does that change the rest of the week? And then I typically also, if I do have coffee meetings, I try to save them for later afternoon and then, you know, maybe some stuff in the evening. Um, so I typically try to finish work around five to six-ish, maybe seven on a really bad week. But the biggest thing though is that people always ask, do you work every single day? Um, I'm actually really religious about not working on Saturdays. Nice. Like everyone knows that since sophomore year, I had a a near breakdown over just the amount of work I was doing. And so Mm -hmm. even if everything is, you know, going to hell in a handbasket, as they say, I will still not work on Saturdays unless there is something so dire that needs to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. Sundays, I will really try not to and at most answer emails. Um, so there's a lot of motivation for me during the weekdays to get that work done so that I have my yeah. weekend and, you know, off and actually feel you know, not anxious about it. Yeah, no, that's great. Sounds really balanced, and but really productive at the same time. 
So lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I'm always very intrigued at how people structure their days and their weeks, especially like high achieving people like yourself. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So last question. Do you have any advice for aspiring freelancers or writers out there? One, as I was saying earlier, just just write a lot and, you know, don't be picky. You know, I, I think I'm getting to a point now where I actually have to start turning down projects and things like that, which is a little bit weird. But mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people who aren't necessarily at that place. And yes, obviously, don't do something that you know regardless of what what kind of freelance you are whether it's writing or I don't know web design anything don't take anything you feel bad about but don't limit yourself to very specific opportunities um, you know it, it usually just doesn't work out and it, that can be just a huge hindrance um, I think second mostly for women I would say um, you know you can always negotiate and ask for more. That is the biggest thing mm-hmm. that I wish people had told me earlier and I would kind of read about, but now that I'm freelancing and this is my living, you can always ask for more. That's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, my my MO now is, you know, kind of having that moment where I say, okay, I know I'm nervous and negotiating, you know, rates or, or whatever is just really annoying, but I need to ask for money, more money in this situation. And, you know, even if it's, you know, an extra, I don't know, $50 on something, you might say, oh, $50, you know, that's whatever. But that adds up over time. If you ask for 50 more bucks on 10 articles, you know, like stuff like that, it it makes a huge difference over time. So I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, is know your worth, think about your worth. There are calculators online, freelancer calculators, just to help you kind of say, yes, you know, that's my time really is worth this much money. Um, And that's really, I think, really important. I wish I wish someone had told me that earlier in college because I was so nervous about asking for money or asking for certain amounts. Um, And at this point, I'm like, nope, you know, I know I know how much money I should be paid. And if you're not going to pay me for it, then, you know, I got other stuff to do. I love it. Know your worth. Definitely. So lastly, where can our listeners find you online? Well, find me online. So <laughs> I am I am primarily on Twitter constantly okay. throughout the day. Um, nowadays, that's probably the biggest question I get when I talk to people who are new new potential clients. It's always, oh, I read your Twitter. And it's like, how is it? Um, so I'm on Twitter at LK Herman, H-E-R-M-A-N. Um, and that's just the easiest place to find me. Um, if people, I'm really open to having people email me and ask me questions because I get that that's a huge um, thing, you know, when people are starting out in freelancing or specifically writing. So I, yeah, I'm really cool with emails. That's just Lily, L-I-L-Y at lilyherman.com. Um, and similarly, I do have a personal website. So that's just lilyherman.com that people are free to check out. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You just dropped a lot of knowledge. I learned so much. Yeah. Thank you. This was great. All right. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like the podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. It helps me so much and also helps other people find the show. You can also catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. All right. Love you all. Bye.